0: Hey everyone, Mike here with the SysAdmin School. The last few years have been really exciting with a lot of the advancements of different technologies that have come out, um, especially ones that I've been lucky enough to be kind of on the forefront of and get to play with and use and actually implement. In this podcast, I'm going to give you the top technologies that I recommend learning or at least becoming familiar with in the upcoming year of 2020. We don't have too long left before we hit 2020. So these are some of the things that are already important, but I think are going to become even more important in 2020. So let's kick this right off with ones that, again, are already important and ones that have been very important over the last two years or so. But, again, I think are just going to be that much more going into 2020 and beyond, and that's cloud office services. So these are services that typically are offered you know, on-premise, or, you know, you buy this software and install it on your computer. And what I'm talking about is, you know, Microsoft Office. That's one of the main ones. So we'll start there with Office 365. Now, this includes more than just your Office suite of Word, Excel, PowerPoint. This also includes Exchange Online, Skype for Business, and Microsoft Teams. Now, Skype for Business has been officially... um deprecated in the sense of no more new clients can happen with Skype for Business Online and the product will officially go away in 2021. So you don't have to focus as much on that, but my guess is the on-prem version is still going to be around for a little while. It's at least going to be around through 2020 as well as the online version. But understanding Skype for Business will also really easily help you transition into Microsoft Teams. A lot of the back end functionality and the back end configuration is very similar, especially when you get into the voice side of things. So, Office 365, it's to go a little deeper into this, this is what we call software as a service, in that Microsoft now is offering us this software if you've ever configured exchange online or configured skype for for business you build a server you install the software and then you configure the software so you now manage a server the software itself and the hardware that 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 is running on microsoft extracts all of that from you except for actually managing the software itself so when you use exchange online all you have is the exchange interface and powershell modules to configure that same with skype for business online same for teams no hardware and no operating systems that you have to manage so that's kind of what microsoft is doing with these is they're extracting the physical layer from you as well as the operating system from you so you don't have to worry about those those will constantly be upgraded they're even doing the exchange software itself You never have to upgrade those. They upgrade themselves. You never have to worry about replacing hardware. And that's where a lot of the business is going in terms of cloud office type services. So again, software as a service, really. Take a quick sip here. The next one, following in that same line, is Google's. Google's version of this stuff is their G Suite. And I put this in here because businesses have a choice. When businesses decide to move to online services, they have a choice of what they want to use. It's not 100% Microsoft or 100% Google or other, there's other ones out there as well. Zoho is another one that's decently big, but they have a choice. So if you want to be a well-rounded systems administrator, you should probably try to figure out and understand the G suite side as well. Now, most businesses I've dealt with really prefer the office side because it's It's more familiar territory that they're used to, where Google's a little unfamiliar. It's a little different, but understanding the Office 365 side and the G Suite, the Google G Suite side, also will really help you as a sysadmin. Now, if you've never played or used G Suite before, it's a lot of the things that you get to use for free, but in more of their business type of setting. So you can consolidate all this stuff. You can have multiple users, and that includes email. And then this is branded email with specifically at yourbusiness.com, whatever your business is or whatever your domain name is. Google Drive, which, again, is something that we get for free. We get about 15 gigs um, where you get closer to, depending on the type of G Suite, you get about a terabyte per user. So Google Drive, Google Groups, another great use of... um, of some Google services, and Google Hangouts, which is Google's kind of VoIP solution, and it's a little bit to there against the Skype for Business side of things. It's not quite feature parity, but Google Hangouts is another kind of G Suite feature that you could really leverage to have good video conferencing meetings within your business. So those are two of the main cloud services, cloud Office services that I highly recommend that you become familiar with, or you at least start looking at them, playing with them, maybe set up an account and just see what you can do with them and start learning those coming into 2020. Because again, we're already using them, but I think they're going to become much more important. And I think we'll see more and more businesses, even ones with a very established infrastructure of hardware. We're going to see those businesses start to migrate more and more into the cloud as really cloud services start becoming the only thing that a lot of companies offer. So moving on, we're going to continue with this cloud theme and just other cloud services. Now there's a, a handful of different companies out there that offer different cloud services. You have Microsoft and their Azure suite of tools of cloud services. Uh, the biggest one that most people have probably heard of, and one that kind of started a lot of it, was Amazon AWS, or Amazon Web Services, and all of their offerings. Google Cloud Platform is another one that may be a little less, depending on you know the kind of circles you are in, a little bit less. But the key thing is all three of these offer pretty much identical services. The I actually someone put up a great image the other day on LinkedIn that included a comparison of the services that Amazon AW or Amazon, Microsoft, and Google all provided. And what was really cool to see is the fact that there really is pretty much they all offer the exact same services. They're all called different, but they all offer the exact same things. If you need a virtual machine spun up, that's typically considered compute, a compute service. Amazon, Google, and Microsoft all offer those types of services. And if you're talking only compute, you can get into even some other ones. There's plenty of more abstract ones out there. Um, It's not abstract. DigitalOcean is another great one that if you're looking for compute type of processing, or cloud services. DigitalOcean is another great one that you can use. But all of these cloud services, again, Microsoft, Amazon, and Google offer very similar things, and I'm not gonna go into each one that they offer, but I'm gonna hit a couple of them right here because it kind of falls into the, it kind of falls into the next piece of this cloud services, and that's serverless computing. This term gets gets put out there a lot, and it's been out a lot this year as well. And I absolutely love this term. I love the idea that we can put workloads into the cloud and not have to actually manage servers, operating systems, hardware, that kind of stuff. So, what serverless computing is is it's not really serverless because it's, all the stuff is running on someone's servers but the servers are abstracted from us. So we can put different computing processes on and utilize multiple services from cloud providers, and we can come up with a essentially a serverless option. One of the great things to think about is actually, and I'll go into this because I, this is the part I've really been expanding my knowledge on and learning about and trying to implement it wherever I can, is websites. Websites and web applications are a perfect example of ideal use case for serverless computing. And I'll give you an example. If I wanted to say, let's say I wanted to build a new web application and I wanted it to be hosted, I want to use Amazon as my cloud provider. There's multiple services that they offer that I can create a completely serverless, web app for. So we'll start with the first one. So my serverless web app is going to be hosted and I need a place to host my website. So we're going to host the website using an Amazon service called S3. This is S3, they're buckets of storage, kind of similar to Google's drive and uh, Microsoft's OneDrive, but they, Amazon's a little differently, but they call it an S3 bucket. It's a simple storage service bucket so when you create an amazon s3 bucket there's an option to basically check a box that says make this public so if you store html documents and javascript and that kind of stuff in this bucket you can essentially host a completely static website from there from an amazon s3 bucket so my web app that's where i'll host it i'll put all of the files that need to be hosted downloaded by the browser in an amazon s3 bucket i'll check that box and there you go my site is now hosted now web applications do more than just host information so what do they do they need to do some sort of processing some sort of crud operations or create read update delete type operations and to do that we'll use javascript to actually call these functions. Now, where do we create these functions? Amazon has another service called Amazon API. And this is where you can use Amazon's web services to create your own API interface, RESTful API interface. So our site's being hosted in Amazon's S3. We're creating a Amazon API using their services that our website's gonna call when it needs to do something. That API is then going to use another Amazon service called Lambda. And Lambda is where you can create multiple functions in different types of code to do different things. So let's say we're talking about new user registration. I go to my web application and I sign up. I type in my information. I click OK. JavaScript, being hosted on S3, is going to call the Amazon API. That Amazon API is going to send that information to a Lambda an Amazon Lambda function. That Amazon Lambda function is going to go through that data. And then what I would then have it do is write to a database, also hosted in Amazon, and that's it. That's really how it works. That's how we can do serverless applications and serverless computing. Everything we're using is we're using services from a cloud provider that, aren't tied specifically to a server. So what does this buy us? Well this buys us a few things. One, we completely abstract the hardware layer. We're completely abstracting again the operating system. So those two things we don't have to manage at all. But the other great thing that we're doing is by setting up our web applications and web services this way we allow for horizontal expansion. We don't have to even worry about that. So it allows, in this type of setup, for Amazon in the background to expand if we have, say, a sudden influx of people using our applications. Our web app will support that. It will expand and contract as needed. And typically with these types of services, you really only pay based on your actual site load. So if you have a million people hit your API in a month... You're going to pay one price. If you have, you know, a hundred thousand hit it the next month, you're going to be paying a lot less. And I hope I, this is a really roundabout kind of a lot of information all at once about serverless computing and creating a serverless, say, web app. But I hope you understand where I'm coming from when I say that I see these cloud services becoming much more in our face. And as systems administrators, we have to understand how these cloud services work and we have to understand how developers are going to be using them so that we can support them and that we can assist developers or others in making sure everything is architected appropriately. Now, I gave Amazon as, a, as an example here, but everything I just said, we can do in Microsoft Azure and we can do in the Google Cloud Platform. So it's Serverless computing is not isolated to just one server, one service, one cloud service provider. It really can be done through pretty much all of them. So I'm really big in serverless computing. I think it's going to be a huge, really cool um, thing that we'll see pick up pick up steam in the next year or two. And really, I think ideally, if you can go to that as quickly as possible with some of your workloads, you will be much better off. I think you'll find a much better return on investment than you would if you were standing up actual virtual servers that were running all the time. Okay, good. We got the cloud services piece out of the way. Now, I say this every year. This is the one I say every year, and that's PowerShell. PowerShell is becoming more and more. You know, it's one of those things that for a while up until probably 2017, 2016, 2017, actually 2016, most Microsoft applications were built with a GUI or graphical interface and then the back end they created PowerShell commandlets to do things. The uh, past past twenty sixteen, Microsoft transitioned a lot of that to now all functionality is built in PowerShell. And your graphical user interface is then built on top of that. So your graphical interface for exchange, for example, is a web application that really is just calling PowerShell commandlets in the background. So it's again, it's it's they're Building everything off of PowerShell and understanding PowerShell and knowing PowerShell and learning PowerShell and being familiar with it and comfortable with it will benefit your career as a sysadmin so much. And I say so much because there's so many things that I have been able to implement or automate or just improve because I understand how I can use PowerShell. By understanding PowerShell so much, by understanding it so well, I can take a lot of problems, a lot of different things that come to me, and I can solve them because I understand of what PowerShell is capable of, and PowerShell is capable of quite a lot. I'll give you a quick example. I wrote a PowerShell script because I was aware of how well PowerShell works with, one, doing direct SQL queries. PowerShell can do direct SQL queries. It can also do direct, along with direct SQL queries, it can also do direct um, store procedure calls. So being able to do store procedure calls is always pretty cool. And on top of that, I know PowerShell works really well with RESTful APIs, which is where a lot of things are going nowadays. I kind of talked about that when I talked about the Amazon stuff, that API you build is a RESTful API that you could later call with PowerShell if you wanted to. So what I built utilizing these two key pieces that I understood very well within PowerShell, I was able to, in real time, use PowerShell to pseudo-real-time, find bots, inappropriately written bots, or bad bots that were hammering my website, and then using SQL to determine the SQL queries to determine these bad bots and help me understand it based on metrics of how many times this this user agent, the single user agents hitting my site, or the single user agent from the single IP address, I had a pretty good idea of what bots and what bad things and what things were not legitimate traffic. And I could identify those utilizing SQL queries with PowerShell. Well, once I understood what was considered a what was a bad bot or a bad person trying to do something on my site i then could utilize powershell's restful the ability to access restful apis to block those people sorry i just smacked my mic (laughs) Um, but i was able to block those ip addresses in the software that i'm using for the website so it allowed for a complete automation Now i've got alerting set up to let me know when this happens when someone's hitting our hitting my site like this, but with this automation in place, if I'm not at my computer or even if it's in the middle of the night, by the time I wake up and log in or by the time I get up the next morning and realize this was happening, PowerShell's already done its thing and blocked the person who was hitting me. So understanding what PowerShell can do really will give you this huge, amazing eye-opening experience into how you can fix different problems and how you can use PowerShell to automate tasks, automate just pretty much anything you want. If you haven't, if you don't know by now, I'm a huge PowerShell person. I absolutely use it every single day and I love it. Um, But that's where I'm going to leave it. Learn PowerShell because it's only going to increase in terms of how powerful it is. It's already incredibly powerful. I said it, I'd say it last year, I'd say it for the 2019, I'm saying it for 2020, and I will probably be saying it in 2021. Learn PowerShell. Learn PowerShell, keep up with it, write scripts, write things that just make sense. Just have fun. There's no right or wrong. If you write a bad script, you know, fix it. Just learn, continue to learn PowerShell. And I'll leave it at that. We'll we'll stop at PowerShell. The next one, and this one is also, again, nice trend here, something that was important in 2019, I think it's going to just continue on into 2020, and that's artificial intelligence and machine learning. Now, we hear a lot about these, and these are kind of buzzwords that you hear with a lot of software companies. Oh, our software now includes artificial intelligence and machine learning in them. Great. What does that mean? Well, really the reason we need to understand this, and we don't need to understand it as sysadmins to the point of, of how to, how does it work 100% or how do we fully implement it to 100%. We need to understand that it's there. And we need to understand where this may start showing up in our day-to-day lives. The two big examples that I see for us as systems administrator are spam spam detection and phishing detection. Artificial intelligence is a great application. It's a great concept. It's just a great idea to use for spam and phishing detection. And the reason I say this is because spammers and hackers who are throwing out phishing emails are constantly evolving. They're constantly changing their methods and their ways of doing things and up until artificial intelligence and machine learning we've had to evolve with those we've had to understand how they're changing and evolving and then we've had to then update our our precautions and our protections against those and a lot of you know we use spam filters and stuff like that and a lot of the companies that support those or create those do that for us but we still need to be aware of them well if we can put ai into the mix here now, as these come out and as the machine learning and AI see more and more spam and phishing emails, there's a, clearly a learning process, but as they see more and more and more, they're going to be able to detect them more accurately. And what's going to be even better is as these people change their processes and how they do this, how they do spam and phishing, the machine learning will as well. It'll learn how they're changing it and how they're doing different things and that way it will then more quickly start to detect those and block those those are two main examples that i think we'll really see um, soon a couple others that you'll probably see but may not be directly related to with our product marketing as depending on the company you work for if you work for a company that actually develops products or sells products marketing is going to be a huge thing for ai because When a marketing campaign goes out, AI can determine how well that does. It can learn and it can determine how you should structure the next marketing campaign or how the next marketing campaign should be done. It may even go as far as the helping you determine or identify your ideal market. That and then we get into data entry. Data entry has typically been something that's been very hard to automate, just the nature of it. But with artificial intelligence and machine learning, this is something else that we may not directly be involved with. But we may see coming up that data entry is going to be something that will be automated using machine learning and artificial intelligence. Now, the last one I want to speak on is a super important one, and it's been super important for years. But again, and I'm, I've got a clear trend here, coming in 2020 and beyond, it's going to just be even more and more crucial. And I'm talking about cybersecurity. So it's always been important. But as I said, I think it's going to be more and more important in the years to come, especially since we're putting more and more workloads out there into cloud services. And as we put more workloads into cloud services, we need to better protect those. So Jim Bob's mom and pop shop that used to have an on-premise exchange server and a file share and maybe hosted their website with HostGator or something like that, very small target they you know the likelihood of someone attacking them identifying them as a target and then mounting an attack against them incredibly small however once they move their workload out into azure microsoft's office 365 or even google g suite they're now part of a company that is a much much larger target and because of this we need to understand cybersecurity much better. The likelihood of you getting a phishing email for your username and password and then someone going into your business and logging onto a computer is highly unlikely. But now again with the cloud services, if you successfully get phished in an email scheme, someone from anywhere can log into your Office 365 account and have access to all your files and your emails and everything. So, Again, it's just a different mindset in, in the way it's shifting as more and more stuff goes into the cloud, which then brings me to something that is always, again, important, and that's MFA services. So MFA is multi-factor authentication. Most people are pretty familiar with this because Google does it. There's an app called Google Authenticator, and then the Microsoft Authenticator, and then if you use LastPass, LastPass has an authenticator app, and then there's Duo, which is another authenticator service. These are all services that as systems administrators we need to be familiar with because going forward with cybersecurity as we put more and more things out there in the cloud, a simple username and password is no longer sufficient to properly secure our data. We need to have more things in place to secure that data, and one of these is multi-factor authentication. There's multiple ways you can do this, and there's multiple services. A couple of them, like I said, off the top of my head, is if you use Microsoft's services and use or use Google services, either one of those have the MFA built in already. And I have those set up on my accounts for Office 365 and Google's, and G Suite. So utilizing and understanding what the cloud services provide, but also understanding what other services are out there. So Duo, D-U-O, is another great service that I've worked with that does multi-factor authentication and they work not only for cloud services, but they also work on-prem. So you can multi-factor stuff that you do have, say, sitting in your server room. Another great one is Okta. Now I don't have a whole lot of experience with Okta, but Okta is more of an identity, more of an identity management and multi-factor. And they really do They really go by the multi-factor, not just the two-factor. They go by multi-factor. So username is right, password's right. You selected, you click the buttons on the app saying that this was you trying to log in, and we see you're in this geolocation. So if you sign in, one of their big things is geolocation. So if you sign in to somewhere in, say, South Carolina, and then 30 minutes from then, someone in Japan attempts to log in from your account, they're going to block that account because it's impossible <laughs> to go from South Carolina to Japan in 30 minutes. So so Okta does a little bit more. They integrate a little bit more with, with different cloud services – but as, as as expected, all of that comes with a price. And Octus price is more expensive than, say, a duo option where they don't necessarily directly integrate. You have to have some you have to have some proxies in place in order for their, them to integrate properly. So there you have it. That is my list for 2020 of things that will greatly benefit your career if you can get on and start learning about them right away. The other piece where – the other thing that makes these great technologies to learn is when your company inevitably starts talking about them, if they haven't already, you will be able to respond and participate in those talks with a good good foundation of knowledge and understand what are the pitfalls, what are the benefits, where can we – replace this old on-prem service with a cloud service that's now happening and where can we see that return on investment can we replace this old process running on a 2003 server that we don't want to update because we're afraid it's going to break can we move that to a say azure function that doesn't need a server to run it runs just on a scheduled timer or a scheduled task or whatever it runs out there, are we going to see a return on investment on that in terms of the administration side of that 2003 box, getting rid of that, as well as the ease of not having to upgrade hardware, not having to upgrade operating systems, not having to patch it? Those are other things to think about when you start looking at these cloud services. So I've gone on for probably about almost 30 minutes now. I think that's that's pretty much where I'm going to leave it. So this is my this is my recommended learning um, with recommended learning of technologies coming up in 2020. I hope you all enjoyed this. If you have any that you think I should add to this list, or you think I should have included, or if, hey, if you have any that you think I shouldn't have included, let me know. I'd love if you're watching if you're listening to this on my site. Feel free to leave a a comment. Um, If you're listening to this on any other service, you can feel free to hit me up on Twitter, that's at MikeWalton1984, or you can check out my site, TheSysAdminSchool.com. Love for you to join, love for you to check out all the other material that I have available on my site, and see if there's just anything there that you'd like. And I'm always looking for opportunities to add more things to teach more that I can if you have a technology or something you want me to elaborate on or you want me to spend an entire podcast on or even maybe create a course let me know I love to hear that kind of feedback and yeah I love creating these podcasts I'm gonna try to do it more often and I just I like creating let's put it that way (laughs) so I hope you enjoy this podcast I'm gonna let everyone out and everyone have an amazing day if you enjoy this podcast and want some other great information about being a systems administrator, then head on over to thesysadminschool.com, where I give you as much information as I can about becoming a sysadmin. If you would like to also play around with some of the technology that I talk about, then you may be interested in my ebook showing you how to build your own lab environment for less than $400. You can get that ebook at $400. DollarLab.com. That's 400 the word dollarLab.com. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you have a great day.